Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm here in the studio with today's guest. She describes herself as a natural wordsmith who loves creating content focused on customer engagement. She's co-founder of customer experience agency Freshnouse in Worcester. And you may remember her business partner, Laura DuPont, was on episode four. After the recording, Laura enthusiastically told me, you should get Celia on here. She'd be great. (laughs) I also remember her presentation at an online networking event last year as being one of the most fun and engaging presentations, which as we've all got to know over the last 12 months, there's no easy task over Zoom. <laughs> so I'm very excited to have her for a chat. She is Celia Felgate. How are you doing, Celia? I'm good, thank you. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit apprehensive, but excited to be here. It's nice. Yeah, cool. Well, no, thank you for Class coming in. come out, which has been brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This feels like a massive event for me. A novelty, <laughs> a yeah, real novelty. yeah. Get on the motorway. A real person face-to-face, a drive down the motorway. It's been special. <laughs> so far, it's been special. <laughs> so far, it's really winning. All right, excellent. Well, that's a good start, I reckon, mm-hmm. isn't it? So hopefully it'll carry on like that. Um, just before we get started, your website is freshnouse.com. That's right. Yep, F-R-E-S-H-N-O-U-S.com. Yes, People it. can go there and have a look and see what you're all about and everything. They can indeed. Cool. So um, you grew up in Norfolk, not a million miles away from where I grew up. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yes. I grew up near Cambridge. Oh, well, <laughs> Cambridge is, is, is lovely. I've always wanted to live in the sort of villages in South Cambridge here. That's kind of... Yeah. Not one of the most perfect little places. But yeah, I grew up in um on the outskirts of Norwich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a Norfolk girl and all the banter that comes with that. So <laughs> always enjoy all those all those little jokes and jibes that come my way about my accent, which is I think mostly eradicated now. The <laughs> the trigger word for me is interesting, where I still have to pause and make sure I don't say interesting. That does still happen. But um yeah, we we're, we're mostly clear of the Norfolk accent, but I, I miss it, I miss the seaside. Yeah, 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 because you're quite close to Great Yarmouth. Yeah, yeah, Great Yarmouth and Cromer and being like about oh, yeah. 20, 25 minutes from the coast, it was yeah, kind of yeah. take it for granted, sort of strolls down the beach even in the winter. So now, like, I feel really quite landlocked, so and I feel like I crave the sea, like some kind of old sailor or something. Do you? Yeah, do you have to go back and sort of get your hit every now and again? Yeah, yeah, I'm really lucky. My, my in-laws still live in that neck of the woods and I've still got a lot of good friends over there, so we still... Uh, trips over down the A14 very frequently yeah. to Norfolk to soak up a bit of uh, seaside and Norfolk broads and boating and all of that good fun stuff. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I think we went on school trips to like the Norfolk broads and yeah. uh, I remember yeah going camping in Cromer and go crab fishing off the pier. Oh there, don't yeah, you? crabbing. I can remember that when I was a kid. Yeah, <laughs> buckets and, and full of crabs. I mean, I think I think I'd have the guts to do it now. Actually, I think I'd feel a bit. <laughs> freaked out by them all but yeah well yeah that was my childhood too yeah yeah just like collecting as many crabs in a bucket as that's you can it, yeah. yeah and then, and then them throw all them all back in <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't you all can't back. eat any of them could you yeah all like the crabbing lines and all that yeah but yeah <laughs> no, it was good fun and I yeah I do miss the seaside but yeah it was a good place to grow up certainly yeah yeah what about the countryside and things and the how flat it is over there. Does, do you like that or do you prefer yeah, the Yeah, no, I like, I like flat. You like I'm, the flat, yeah. yeah. As, a, as an overweight asthmatic, uh, <laughs> the, the, the flat is better. And when I, when I first arrived in Worcestershire and someone said, let's go for a walk in the hills, and they took me up to the Malvern Beacon, I felt like I climbed Everest. Um, you're like, top of the world. It was, it was uh, yeah, it's, um, flat is, is good for me. You More into the... Sea for miles and uh, what they say, the deepest dikes or... All this the right, countryside yeah, yeah. is is lovely, really, really nice countryside. But I mean, it is it is beautiful around here. So I now feel very lucky to have moved to somewhere so different, which is still so stunning. But uh, I tend to make most of the journeys up the Malvern Hills at least part way in the car now. Yeah, 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 what's the highest car park I could get to? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, well, we'll get to how you sort of got over to this side of the country in a bit. Yeah. Um, what what was it like growing up? Were you a good student? Were you? Uh... <laughs> yeah, I was probably a uber geek. I think. Oh, yeah, yeah uber geek. really, nice. really nerdy, geeky, goody two shoes. Well, maybe not goody two shoes. I don't think I was always 
perfectly behaved. I can remember kind of sitting, making rap songs in the back of a French lesson with a, a friend of mine. And <laughs> um, so I don't know if I was always perfectly behaved, but I certainly, I loved school and, and yeah. loved, loved exams, still love exams. Really? One of those weird people that love a test. Why? Why? What do you love about a test? Uh, I, I, I think there's something in me that likes to be able to regurgitate what I know and prove that okay. I know it. And I'm not uh, coursework and all that, that kind of ongoing thing because I'm a, I'm a bit of a lastminute.com person or can be if I don't okay. correct myself. So coursework was always quite stressful because I wouldn't get started and then I'd have it all to do. Whereas <laughs> an exam for me was fine. I learned it over the course of time and then you rock up and you either know it or you don't. Okay. And that yeah, kind of works yeah. for, for how my head works, I think. But okay, I, fair enough. Yeah, and yeah. I'm in, really into music at school as well. Used oh, yeah. To, yeah. Playing music or listening or both? Yeah, well, both. But um, yeah. yeah, played the violin all since I was sort of about six, I think. Oh, uh, right. Um, okay. So did that in the string group and got yeah, little yeah. certificates from school. Thank you for your contribution to music in the school and county and all that. And I loved all of that. So yeah. that was like in, uh, yeah, my husband likes to joke now, band camp. <laughs> yeah, I get all of that. So yeah, a music geek as well. All oh, right. Okay. Do you still play? Uh, I do a little bit for fun, but um, not in any groups or anything, which is probably a, a bit of a regret and something that maybe as life goes on and more time comes back my way, it's something I'd like to do again. Certainly, sung in a few choirs as I've been an adult and and yeah. like doing that as well. So, are you kind of like all music reading, or are you good at improvising as well? Um, probably more reading. I'm probably not yeah. that great at improvising. I think I'm not a natural musician, but I enjoy it. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, you obviously nailed all your exams and everything on the way through school, did you? Yeah, I think I, I did. I did. I did well in like, yeah. yeah, on my exams and stuff. And school was, was really good. And I think it was a real focus for me. So my, yeah. my, I lost my dad when I was eight and I oh, think right, that. Okay kind of I don't know it kind of pushed me a bit more I think and I was sort of focused and studious and I think that was my uh output my direction yeah okay sorry right. well, I'm just going off we'll leave that in <laughs> <laughs> as discussed <laughs> ding, ding. um okay so kind of it must have been a, a a tough time and school kind of became your yeah, your I think, things to help you through in a way I think it did I mean school's that sort of stability and all of that isn't it and I, you know, it was the thing that was the constant. So it was a, a, a good place to be when perhaps other things felt a little bit out of control, maybe. Mm, mm. But yeah, I, I always adored school. Yeah. And if I was um, ill as a child, I used to beg my mum to let me go to school. Really? I used to, <laughs> think, think my mum still retells the story now when I told her I hated her because I'd been sick that morning. And she's like, you can't go to school. You've actually been sick. I hate you. I want to go to school. Really? That, that's wow. where I was at. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. I'm, I'm like completely <laughs> the opposite. I remember uh, I've got the opposite story where my mum made me have. go to school once and uh, I actually threw up at school <laughs> in the corridor. Uh, I really am sick, mum. Honestly, yeah, I am. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. No, no, I'd, have, I'd have weathered any storm to get to school. At least, yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Wow. Have you got brothers and sisters? Or? No, I'm an only Just child, you, yeah. which I think okay. is a. Uh, certainly have all the only child qualities you know it's all about me and I'm the centre of attention <laughs> and I'd like my name up in lights and yeah no just me yeah the, yeah the favourite and the best that I'd like to think okay well yeah I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure you probably oh my must God, be yeah everyone's like wow listen to that ego the ego has landed yeah no but it's it's good because some you know people can portray that as a negative like you just said but it's you know it can be a positive as well can't it if you embrace it and oh yeah definitely I mean I when I was younger, I used to really want an older brother. I used to, right. you know, like a big protector brother and everything. And I think being an only child, when it was just obviously then just me and my mum, mm. our bond was really close, which was really lovely. But maybe as I got older, it would have been nice to have someone else like, because my mum stayed over in Norfolk and when I moved away. So there's some challenges there. And sometimes a sibling, I suppose, would have been good. But... I I was always fairly happy as an only child, and my mum had this kind of fairly open house policy. So we always had all my friends over. I was ours was the household where everyone collected. So I wasn't ever a sort of loner only child. I was always the oh, place nice. where everyone could go, where people with younger brothers and sisters used to escape to. I think. Probably. Uh, okay, nice. Is that? Do you think that's something you? Because your mum was conscious of that, or she's just naturally inviting and. 
No, I think she was conscious of that. I wouldn't say my mum's not naturally inviting because that would be unfair, but my mum is far quieter than I am naturally. But I think she was always, you know, even even before my dad had died as an only child, she was always the one who invited friends over and that. So I think she made sure I was surrounded by young people and, and friends right, always. Okay. So. Sounds like a good mum. She's a really good mum. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she still does my washing and ironing now, so I've got to be very careful. She, she nails it as mums go, yeah. Right, definitely. we'll just we'll just reiterate that point. Yeah, we'll she reiterate. is a Don't great mum. Excellent really mum. If she chooses to listen to this mum, you, you're great. You're the best mum. Excellent. Best. I like it. Cool. So uh, when you lost your dad, that kind of sounds like that strengthened your relationship with your mum. And, and Yeah, definitely. I think there was a sense of kind of, Sounds a bit much, but, you know, her and I against the world, maybe. Mm, mm. Uh, obviously, she took on the role of both parents, and she was amazing. I mean, she didn't drive when my dad died. She learned to drive. She, right, okay. we, you know, she moved, we moved house. She did all that big stuff on her own that she'd obviously never imagined she would be. And, yeah, we kind of did it together. I mean, obviously, she was still the parent. I wasn't ever expected to be, but, you know, we were... We're a good team. We still, we still are a good team, to be honest. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And then, um, so you, you stayed in Norwich and went to UEA? Yeah, I stayed. University of East Anglia. Stayed there. I, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left school, to be perfectly honest. So mm -hmm. it was, being I was quite academic, it was just really kind of what subject do I like mm -hmm. as opposed to what career am I going to follow? I didn't really have a clear okay. view. Um, and I had a, re I had a really fantastic I had a weekend in, in Cambridge at Cambridge University when I was oh, yeah. <laughs> at sixth form when they were kind of I think trying to woo people from state schools and you got invited to go and stay for the weekend <laughs> and see behind closed doors and all of that and I think that uh, what that demonstrated for me is that that wasn't a world I belonged in to be right. perfectly honest. <laughs> so, uh, as interesting as it was to see I uh, the, the Cambridge route that I think probably certainly my mum was like wow she's going to be able to go to Cambridge so that was quickly like no way I actually I'm not um right. yeah and I, and I just I didn't uh the UEA choice wasn't really about staying at home or staying in Norfolk it was just the best place for the course I wanted to do and it just happened to be there so okay what was the course uh, I did history and politics oh right which obviously wow. absolutely <laughs> no uh, relevance to the career that I then chose to work in whatsoever yeah. Okay, very <laughs> academic as well, though. Yeah, very academic. Lots um, of tests. <laughs> lots of great exams. I mean, yeah. <laughs> why, why are you there for the exams? I'm just here for the exams, people. <laughs> yeah. Just let me regurgitate things I know. I don't have to apply it or do anything constructive, but just let me write it down. I've got this great vision of you, like, queuing up in the corridors to go into the exams, all, like, excited. Yeah, and, like, that was me. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, With my little clear pencil case and all the things in it that I'd seriously, uh, you know, written my name on and everything. Just like, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, we were saying we just me. did some headshots before. And we were saying that only I've probably only met about one or two people that are like, "Yeah, I love having my headshot done." <laughs> yeah, not. I think you're now the only person that I've met that <laughs> loved exams to that extent. Yeah, loved exams. I used to when I even when I was younger, I used to ask my mum to give me a spelling test. I used to go and ask for a spelling right. test. Yeah, okay. I missed that bad. Okay, all right, interesting. <laughs> Probably should stop talking about that. Now. Maybe loop back to that, yeah. Later <laughs> on. Okay. Moving on. So how did how did history and politics go? I mean I loved I loved the course. It was all um all modern history and sort of the related politics. So did a lot of Russian history and, and modern British history. Um no history passed back past about nineteen hundred, so it's a right. a great amusement in our household now that my daughter, who absolutely loves history, knows all the kings and queens and <laughs> and I and I know none. I know nothing. Right. So the history questions come up on a quiz show and I'm actually mostly out. I'm not able to answer any of them. Very specialised uh, history yeah, knowledge. I mean, it's very it's very niche really. Um but yeah I, re I mean I really enjoyed the course. I probably missed out a little bit on a lot of the university experience because I did stay living at home, which right, okay. yeah. I think I probably hadn't thought about before I did that. But it was a it was it was good. It was it was a, probably a slightly challenging time in some senses because my now husband, who was my then boyfriend, mm. uh, went off to university in Stoke and left me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we did the long distance thing, and that so that uh, I think made made it somewhat less fun maybe than it could have been when a lot of other people were having fun in different ways at university that I wasn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. <laughs> Fair play though. Like uh, I got, I know probably only a couple of people who, you know, had a girlfriend and long distance all the way through 
university and then stayed together and then got married. That's like, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> I, I didn't let him wriggle out of it. He didn't escape. So, you know, and fair play to him. He hang in there, so. No, because it's, you know, like you say, it's a time when you're like going off and meeting all new people and blah, 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 and, you know, make new friends and life changes and everything like that. So to, to carry on, that's yeah, we did, did a lot of our growing cool. up together, but probably had just enough sort of distance at that time. The long distance thing maybe was good for us because we have got some good at that separate time, experiences yeah. as well from that time. So I think yeah. it probably was a good thing. Okay. Did you get married quite soon after university? Um, I got married when we were, well, actually I was 24 and he was 23. It was like two weeks before his birthday. He's six months younger than me. <laughs> so forevermore we have a marriage certificate that indicates that I'm a year older, which isn't really the truth at all, to be honest. Um, yeah, so we, yeah, we, we, uh, he stayed at university a year longer than me, did a placement year. Um, and that's when I then moved to Worcester. And then one day he arrived on my doorstep having finished uni, quit the part-time job he'd got with all his worldly possessions. <laughs> and I kind of went, what the hell are you doing here? I live in a one-bedroom flat. So his romantic gesture sort of. And then a couple of years later, we got married. Excellent. Cool. Okay, so uh, what brought you to Worcester then um, from, from university? Uh, so at the end of university, obviously there's the realisation that it needed a job. Uh, still still <laughs> didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, yeah, that moment when you're like, okay, what yeah, do I what do What do you now? do with a degree in history and politics? <laughs> I don't really want to work in a museum and I don't want to be a lecturer. <laughs> and I certainly haven't got the capabilities to teach. So what does that leave me with? So I think there was a, a massive, I can't remember what the book was called, but... At that point in time, there was a huge uh, sort of thick book of graduate schemes that came out. There were all the different okay. major companies that ran graduate schemes. Right. And I literally leafed through that and applied for different graduate schemes. Okay. Um, and I joined the graduate scheme with Empower, and mm -hmm. that was in Worcester. And that was just it. Right. Simples. Simples. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I packed up and moved across the country, although I didn't realise I was moving across the country because I thought Worcester was in the home counties. Uh. And when I made the journey and I came through Birmingham, I was like, I'm not where I thought I was going to be. So, really? yeah, I did history, not geography. Excellent. So, uh, yeah, I wound up in, in Worcester. And then okay. that's, that's how I got here. Okay. There, yeah. okay, so what was the graduate scheme? So it was just a general business graduate scheme. So you kind of spent a couple of years working your way around the business, doing placements in different parts of the organisation. So I went and did... I did six months where I travelled between Worcester and up near County Durham to work in a contact centre where you did kind of call statistics and understanding all the inbound call traffic and all of that type okay. of interesting stuff. Um, and then I worked in a department that looked after kind of vulnerable energy customers. So that was right. really interesting to see the flip side of the energy market and how vulnerable people are supported and fuel poverty and understanding more about that. So that was really interesting and then um moved into a placement in the end in marketing okay okay so that was your favorite no, well area, it was, was it? but it wasn't um ever going to be i didn't want to work in marketing <laughs> my perception of marketing was people that sat around on beanbags blue sky thinking and talking nonsense i kind of thought it was fairly Pointless, I suppose. Is that not what you do? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it is, but, but as, I've, as I've got older, the love for the beanbag has grown. <laughs> uh, no, I just, uh, the, to be brutally honest, the reason I picked it is because I wanted to stay in Worcester because at that point we were we then bought a house. Okay. And really the only option for another placement that was in Worcester as opposed to somewhere up north was marketing. Okay. So I thought, oh, I'll do right. it for six months. That's fine, and then I can get a job in one of those other bits that I really right. enjoyed. Okay. And then I fell in love with it. And then you did you? Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I learned that the, the type that marketing is a very broad school, and that the idea of that it was about colouring in was not necessarily the case. So. Okay. Which aspect of it do you think uh, you fell in love with? I fell in love with the idea of it, it was immediately for me that the customer thing, connecting with individuals, that it became about connecting with a person and telling a story and engaging people. And I worked a lot on the kind of customer contact strategy stuff, which meant that you were thinking a lot about the different touch points to a customer as they went through their sort of life cycle with an energy customer and all the things that can go right and go wrong and the correspondence that they needed. And it wasn't about 
putting an advert in the guardian there was a bit of that but a lot of the things i loved were about building a relationship and a rapport with a set of customers okay. and I, I really enjoyed that sort of connectivity of it right okay and so okay. yeah that's that's what i just found that i really really love okay so the the, the personal connection and uh yeah building that relationship like so, so and ways to do that and kind of i suppose kind of psychology to some yeah i think to some extent i think i'm probably by nature a people person but i hadn't perhaps quite registered that at that point in my life right. and i think that was the, the the first step on that journey for me realizing that actually I, I probably wasn't even though i say there for a while naturally a corporate person and a, and a person that belonged in commerce but i enjoyed building connections Right, okay. And, and okay. sort of telling a story and, and started to really enjoy kind of the content aspect, writing and um, making sure information was clear for customers and rewriting jargon and all of that type of stuff. I really found a love for that kind of work. Okay, okay. So, yeah, I guess you were doing a lot of writing in your degree. Yeah, I did do a lot of writing in my degree, but it was all very kind of academic and cold yeah, and yeah. distanced, whereas... When you start writing a letter to dear Mr. Smith, I'm I'm sorry that your wife has passed away, and we're moving your energy. How we're moving your energy account out of her name, and how you start to handle people and communicate with people, mm -hmm. um, became something that fascinated me. Right. Okay. Okay. And they they obviously at Empower gave you a chance to dig in deeper and to, to that and understand it and yeah, learn learn I, more about it. I had a. a a brilliant time in my so the early years of my marketing career at Empower. So I did a lot of that stuff, and I also got the chance to do some really, really fun things. We did the kind of we we sponsored the cricket, the test series at that point. Yeah, I got to go and watch all the cricket. <laughs> um, I got to have Mike Gatting teach me the rules of cricket, which was brilliant. Right. I still don't think I'd know a silly mid off if it came and hit me in the face. <laughs> but uh, I got to do all that kind of exciting stuff as well, and enjoy those kind of jollies and, and fun things and see kind of that brand side of marketing as well, mm. as well as enjoying learning that skill of connecting with people. Right, okay, okay. Well, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, it's pretty self-aware at that age, like young, early 20s, to sort of realise that that's what you love about it and pick up on that particular I think, I think I knew I liked it. I think it took a longer for me to kind of realise why. Yeah, I think right, it's more okay. yeah, reflective yeah. that I can see <laughs> why I, what about it I loved. I just know I enjoyed that. Okay, um, yeah, that yeah. part of it. Uh, but yeah, there was, there was lots of fun to be had as well. So it was just a really, um, it was a really, really great place to be and a really great opportunity to have early in your career when you hadn't known what you wanted your career to be. I was very fortunate to be exposed to really fantastic opportunities within that kind of brand and marketing world so to really see the the breadth of what marketing was yeah okay okay and you stayed there for I'm trying to remember now seven years is it um, no that, no longer than that 12 years, years. i think yeah. yeah yeah lots of different roles from the kind of early days of doing that kind of brand stuff and looking after the sponsorship and uh the FA stuff and then moving more towards that customer contact um headed up a team that was what we call campaign development which was all about uh building those that marketing program and helping onboard customers and manage customers through their life cycle which was all really interesting and then towards the end of my time at Empower I helped establish their first ever customer experience team so right. I was really able to bring my knowledge of the business and of the customer base to a, a real program of change that was helping to really smooth out the, that path and those journeys for customers. Okay. So that okay. it kind of came full circle, really, back to that at the, towards the end of my time there. Okay. Okay. And um, I, I think I asked Laura this question as well, but like, how mm. do you define marketing, like, in the most simplistic well, terms? I'd say <laughs> I'd, I'd say it's communication. Yes. Yeah. It's what it is. It's about communicating with people. Yeah. And that can be whether it's a a giant billboard with a with a one word slogan on it, or whether that's a, a set of terms and conditions that arrive with your insurance policy. Uh, good marketing is about effective communication and and 
sharing a message and telling a story. Mm-hmm. Okay, nice. I like it. <laughs> so then, um, as you're coming to the towards the end of that twelve years, if I remember rightly, you, you knew Laura from Empower. Yeah, we'd 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 both been at Empower at the same time, and we'd worked together on projects, but we'd never, well, other than one very small stint right at the beginning when Laura arrived back from maternity leave, and I'd been sat in her desk. Mm. Um, it's quite funny actually, because I'd been sat in her desk, and I was kind of I was. I've been there about six months. I was in my early twenties, and I'm I'm probably a naturally a little bit messy. <laughs> uh, so and then they and I I hadn't met Laura, and they told me about this this lady Laura Dupont, which obviously sounds very grand. Um, and I was she was coming back from maternity leave, and she was to have her desk back, and I was moving on to some slightly unfortunate little side desk next to my boss that obviously wasn't a desk, um, which was fine because she was obviously really important. I remember being quite concerned that I had to clean the desk really thoroughly and tidy it because Laura DuPont was coming and then Laura <laughs> arrived and I realised it was okay and it wouldn't matter. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we worked, we worked together a little bit sort of very early on, but then after that we were always in different teams, but we, we came across each other an awful lot on different projects and we always worked very well together. Um, yeah. So we, we, yeah, and we'd got to know each other really well. Do you think you knew on that first time when you met her when she came back to take your desk? Well, to retake to her take desk. To take my desk. That's right. <laughs> she did. To take my do you desk. think you knew at that point, like, yeah, we're probably going to go on to do something? No, no, no. Because I've got to say, because she's a few years older than me. We <laughs> 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 said not not many, just a few. But at that point, because I was literally six, 12 months into my career in marketing and Laura had been there a few years, she felt so far, so much more knowledgeable and so much more experienced than me that I just looked up to her and all the people on that kind of next rung, if you like. So I didn't even consider that we'd ever be peers. It didn't, okay. didn't seem possible. And she, you know, she knew so much. And when she spoke, she was so articulate about the business and and it i never i would always feel like i was playing catch-up it took a long time before and, and as the, i would believe that i would uh know as much as laura did right okay okay she was like your idol <laughs> i mean and that might be pushing it and we might need to cut that bit out uh, i don't know if she was my idol but i certainly always uh respected her enormously yeah, yeah. And, and looked yeah. up to and look, the way she behaved and carried herself as much as what she knew she was I thought we'd better just put that, that in because path. of you mentioning that she was a few years older than you. A few you, years so. older. Just to be clear, she's <laughs> a few to, years older. Just to balance things just, up a little a bit. Just a older, to be clear. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Okay, so how do you get from that first meeting when she comes back from maternity leave to founding a business together? Well, yeah, I mean, so then over the, so the, the 10 years after I then met her when she came back from maternity leave and we were both working in Empower and we, we had these cross-projects and just got to know each other very well mm -hmm. and then kind of uh, how how that corporate world worked certainly at that point is that sort of the opportunity for redundancy came around as an almost annual event oh, right, uh, because okay. they reorganized and so you could almost <laughs> choose to bow out whatever you wanted right. so and and Laura and I had both had conversations that probably living permanently in the corporate world wasn't for us, that, that we both had similar frustrations about the speed at which you can get things done and uh -huh. make a tangible difference. And so we both kind of kept our eye on this, what's the exit strategy? But probably not for quite some time did we think about it being something we'd do together. Mm -hmm. And I think it was, well, it was definitely Laura that was brave enough to sort of say to me, I think I'm going to go out and do something on my own. I don't think I'm going to go and look for another corporate job. I'm not going to go and seek that. And it, it sparked me to think, oh, yeah, I mean, hadn't even considered that. I'd never considered setting up my own business. I'd never thought right. that would be me, not in a million years. Yeah, it's not something we get taught at school as an option, no, is it? No, not at all. It just didn't, didn't cross my mind. Um, and then my husband set up his business like a couple of years before. Oh, and right. I suddenly thought, okay, well, I suppose I could. And, and as the, the time went on, Laura and I talked more. And Laura left Empire a little before me and kind of got the ball rolling. and. I spent the next year kind of, I think, umming and ahhing. Can I do this? Should I do this? And then, yeah, took the plunge and did. But I think only, I don't think I could have done it on my own. I think mm -hmm. it was very much because I still felt I was safe with Laura. Yeah, <laughs> probably, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, well, that makes, that makes total sense because it's, uh, yeah, it's not an easy step to take, is it? No, no. <laughs> it's, it, 
the yeah big brave pill. But yeah, no, it was a uh, uh, it was really exciting. It was a really exciting decision to have made. I think that's why I was interested in what you're saying about enjoying taking tests earlier because, <laughs> like the kind of test taking and exams and things, always seems to me really opposite to what happens when you start your own business because there's no one there to say this is what you need to do and this is the these are the questions I'm going to ask you and, and if you answer them right you'll go on to do the next thing kind of thing does yeah, that make sense absolutely I was way <laughs> out of my comfort zone way out right. trying to uh yeah and I think Laura probably had to do the job of a lot of reassurance yes I think this is the right thing to do because <laughs> yeah. yeah I think I um yeah, the, the the free the freedom of it was probably the scariest thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah being outside open. of that framework. Yeah. Something. Absolutely. It's hard, and when you certainly when you've been in the corporate world, I, I think Laura told you our hilarious story about realizing we need to pay ourselves. <laughs> um, you know, we had so many of those le- sort of learning moments, like you know, no one's doing it for you anymore. <laughs> yeah. So was that the kind of final straw when when you say your husband started a business, and I guess you'd seen him doing that and how it works and everything did you you sort of eventually thought right let's do it i thought yeah i could do it and um the job i had at empower at the time was then moving to solihull and i lived in droid which which isn't a million miles away but my daughter was six months into first school and mm-hmm. that kind of dropping her at the school gate and then her going to these all the after school clubs every day had started a really great and just didn't didn't sit comfortably when she'd been at nursery when she was younger strangely it was easier and I think I've spoken to other working parents working mothers certainly I think nursery feels easier because it's geared up for for working parents so that the idea that they're there eight till six is what they're all doing and it's it doesn't you think the guilt didn't grab me as much but when she was at school and she was doing breakfast club and then at school all day and after school club and I was never the mum collecting her, started to just, right. yeah, niggle at me. And I, just wanted, bit, yeah. I wanted something where I could do that some of the time or have the option mm-hmm. to, I mean, and, and schools are really, uh, in my opinion, unhelpful with the the things they do to for parents to come in. So they'd put on like a, a little music performance, but they put it on at two o'clock in the afternoon. Well, I mean, that's literally the middle of the working day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just because it's the, the last 50 minutes of their day. So... If I was at work in Solihull, there's no way I could suddenly appear in Droitwich at two o'clock in the afternoon to listen to recorders. Mm, mm. So there was lots <laughs> of things that I just, I wanted um, life to have a bit of a different balance as well. And I thought hopefully there would be a way of making that happen and by doing something on my own that I could build in some level of flexibility. Yeah, so that was yeah. another big push to do it. Yeah, okay, yeah. I think that's one of the greatest most valuable things of running your own business isn't it is that flexibility it absolutely has been that has been uh really lovely to be able to make those things happen i mean mm. there's times when you still can't make those things happen because yeah, you're still trying course, to run a business yeah. so there's been you know there's <laughs> yeah. been dreadful things i've missed still i can't pretend i'm not i'm certainly not there every school performance that hasn't happened but i have had the chance to do more of them and make my own decisions about which ones i do and which ones i can't yeah yeah yeah, there's a, a actually the podcast I mentioned to you before the recording, Solopreneur Hour. He often says something like, he, I heard heard him say the other day, like people ask him how much it would, you know, how much of a wage it would take for him to go back to a job where he didn't have, you know, the time flexibility, and he's yeah. just like, there isn't one really. Well, this is it. I, I mean, I sort of, my husband and I both say, I think we're sort of almost unemployable now. Like, I, yeah. don't, I, don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I could cope with that regimen of someone telling me when I had to be in the office or, or you know, what was yeah. expected of me. I'm quite happy yeah. to still sat there on my laptop at 10 o'clock at night, which is what I do, but I don't, you know, I don't expect a half past four if I've decided to go home and cook an early dinner yeah. for someone to chase me down. So, yeah, yeah. I think it would be hard now. And I remember, uh, yeah, what Laura was saying about how you try to build that in for your employees as well. Yeah, it's just, just it's really important to us that, that, that that your work is a part of your life and, mm. and it's not all that you do and it has to work as you know it has to work holistically yeah um and then people do a better job as well if mm. you know in particular over the last year i think we've learned more than ever that we've got members of the team who've got kids and they're trying to homeschool and if you force someone to try and teach a seven-year-old about fronted adverbial phrases whilst you're trying to 
take a client phone call. Your, your, your head's <laughs> going to be a mess and you're not going to do either very well. So you're going to feel guilty, but you're also not going to have done a very good job. So I think we've really, it's coming to its own this year, that flexibility that we've built in because it's meant everyone is able to focus on their priorities for their life. And we've still kept the business going because we've found creative ways to make that all work. Yeah, yeah, cool. I think that's really interesting because, well, yeah, I've just taken on my first person. I want to yeah. build that in as well, really. And, you know, you don't want to be, I don't want to be the one that's saying you have to be here between these hours and things, but building in the flexibility and making sure it still works for the business is a, a challenge, I suppose. I think it is a challenge. I think certainly, um, and people respond to it in different ways depending on their experience. I think when when you work with someone who's a little bit more mature and experienced, the value of the flexibility means that you get the commitment. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think sometimes younger people who haven't had that, you have to help them find that balance. And mm-hmm. so that's certainly part of the journey we've been on when we've, you know, different people in the team is to really help build that flexibility in, but make sure people are also giving their all when they're, when they are there and they're yeah. doing it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I kind of struggled a bit when I came out of my job in engineering into doing this on my own, yeah. like with kind of actually allowing myself to have that flexibility, like I sort of feel like I was bunking or something if yeah. I was at home in the afternoon and you'd be like, oh, I better get back down to the studio. Yeah, you do, don't you? You feel guilty about it. You feel like, yeah, you should be doing something. Oh my God, I'm not building the business. I'm not getting leads. I'm not looking after my clients. I'm not doing whatever because, yeah, we're so, we've, we're so programmed that it's a nine to five or, or, or whatever it has been for you, that, that that's the only way to do it. And I think it's a really hard mentality to break yeah. and, and, and to break it and still be productive and useful, but give yourself a break when you're not. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. all the time that you're not, you're constantly thinking about it and that's hard. Yeah. And it's hard to sort of remember that. Yeah. Yeah. My, my mate, John Ord was on the other week and he was saying, you know, how do you sort of put a value on just stopping and doing nothing? Like it's hard to put value on it, but it is valuable. It is. I think in the world we live in now, it's so hard to be okay with doing nothing. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it's really, really hard <laughs> to not tell yourself you're being lazy. Like you sit, I sit down on a Saturday afternoon with a magazine and your head is constantly, even if it's not about work, oh, should I be doing the gardening? I really should be doing some yeah. ironing. You know, oh, I haven't sent that email. Grab your laptop. Um, it's really, really hard to to sit still and do nothing and be all right with it. I think, yeah, it's an art that most of us still probably don't have mastered. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. As an art, as, I suppose, actually, just thinking of it as an art is a good way to start. Really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. This is the right. thing I have to do. This so is, the thing I have yeah. to do is do nothing. You I have know, to get have good at this to, thing. Have to put some time in to, to do nothing officially. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's very true. I was just yesterday morning like going into the shed trying to unlock the shed get the keys while putting in my headphones to start listening to a podcast and <laughs> switch the lights on or something and I just dropped everything yeah. and I was like all right just try and do one thing need to stop <laughs> with the, the attempts at crazy multitasking that we're all guilty of yeah, yeah it just doesn't work does it it doesn't work it doesn't work but I think you know I'm sure you know when you you run a small business you want to say I wear so many hats there's so many different yeah. things I'm spinning I you know, I'm a, I'm a marketing professional. I work in customer experience, but I'm also running invoices. I'm also sorting out payroll. I'm also organising yeah. a one-to-one. I'm also making sure the holiday <laughs> chart's up to date. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm making yeah. sure I've hoovered the office. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I, you, you have to be able to multitask, but you've also got to be able to give yourself a, a break not to continually try and do six things at once. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you're saying, it's just not not efficient, is it? I read something recently where if you have like notifications coming up on your screen, you know, and you get a text or whatever, that it it takes something. It was a long time. They said, I think they said something like 20 minutes to, if you just look up and read that text, it then takes you like ages to get back into what you were doing properly. I can imagine that. So accumulatively, you end up wasting an absolute shed load of time just by having those notifications True. pop up. I've, I t- I've, uh, <laughs> if I'm trying to get my head down into a bigger piece of work, I turn off the notifications on my email yeah, because yeah. I get so many emails that then they don't all need immediate action, but in your head they do. <laughs> yeah. So you see that little envelope appear in the bottom of your screen and you, you feel your anxiety creep, don't you? Like, yeah, oh, who yeah. needs me? Who needs me? And then you, you 
split in and out. So there's times when you need to <laughs> need to focus on a task. And certainly for me, when when I'm writing, mm-hmm. it, it, it's important, really important to keep the flow and to block out those other distractions if I'm trying to to, to do a, a decent piece of content because otherwise it's so fragmented. So I've really had to yeah. discipline myself to remove those distractions when you need to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's not easy, is it? Because no. you get that little, is it a little dopamine hit or something when you see a yeah. notification? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, what are they going to say? Oh, that is it exciting? And then you're like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> wasted. <laughs> hey, can I have this yesterday? Oh, I wish I had a look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And now you're stressed about it. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, so you start this customer experience thing then with, with Laura. She, she starts a year or so earlier than you yeah about a year kind of gets gets going a little bit and then you you take the plunge and what what was that like like walking out of your your job and into that the, the next day uh <laughs> oh, it was just bizarre um walking out of that kind of corporate world office was really odd um <laughs> and then when we started we did, obviously we didn't have a, an office immediately so we were kind of sat around a kitchen table like looking at each other like what do we do classic <laughs> what are we um and i think laura said this on on podcast when she spoke to you that we almost feel like we kind of left without enough connections we suddenly right went, yeah oh <laughs> and the clients are coming from where now um yeah just because we know we're brilliant <laughs> how does anybody else know so yeah there was a, a steep learning curve of kind of Finding those first bits of business and all the kind of crazy uh, early clients we had, and that the the funny pieces of work we got to do were were excellent, <laughs> excellent. And the low fees you probably charged for those oh in God, the early the crazy days. Crazy low fees, but I mean the memories are worth it. So we one of the the first pieces of work we did was actually kind of with a, a local council around some sort of community festivals they were running. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got invited. We were sort of doing. The, the PR and the social media and then kind of a, a bit of everything really for them to help promote them. Got invited along to this sort of council committee meeting. And one of the things they were talking about was a duck race that they do as part of this festival. <laughs> right. I mean, and Laura and I got really overexcited about the idea of this duck race. Oh my God, people can customize their own ducks. We can take a <laughs> duck on tour around the town so people can try and spot where the duck is. And, and then I think we became known to this committee as these kind of crazy duck ladies. When we built this collection of rubber ducks that still sit in the office now that kind of spun out of this first thing we did and this kind of, well, there's this ginormous duck that we've got called Colin Quaxon who sits in the office and at Christmas he wears Christmas glasses. And so and all that's still with us from those early days, those little hangovers, those little memories of all of the really brilliant fun stuff we got to do to kind of find our feet and find out who we were and what we were going to do. It was just brilliant, you know meetings with people sat in in bedrooms on upturned bins and i mean it's just brilliant we had such a, we had a great time yeah didn't earn a lot of money for a while but learned a lot very quickly yeah that's what it's all about though, isn't it that, that sort of freedom like we're saying and, and having fun as yeah. yeah i was saying to tom yesterday like yeah just want to make sure everyone has fun when we come to work and uh yeah yeah, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It is. It's I mean, that's hard. To, obviously, that's difficult. It's not always going to be fun, but... <laughs> oh, well, we try to, you know, I think that's one of the, the main things for us is fun and enjoyment and, and sort of celebrating the successes and having yeah. a good time. And when we have, like, an office karaoke, we stick the radio yeah. on, like, on a Friday <laughs> afternoon, um, sing a little bit of duet. Laura and I like to do a little bit of... Um, I knew him. I know him so well. You know, a little bit of Barbara and Elaine. <laughs> Um, like to do a little bit of a sing-along duet, so we uh, you know, we do all that. All right, okay. So, well, you know, I can it's see a fun some like uh, Facebook lives or something here. Then. Oh, I'm not sure the world needs it. <laughs> I think it's probably just for private consumption. Let us see, if let I'm us see into the fresh house office on a Friday yeah, afternoon. I mean, I think the viewers <laughs> might peak and then drop very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, that's cool. So, I'm mean, I'm really interested in this whole customer experience thing. Um, so, so, a Oh, there's an alarm going oh, off now, which you can probably that's possibly the warning. hear. It's good. That's the warning. You're being boring. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> customer experience. So, oh, that's it. We've no, gone into the driver. It's interesting. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been reading a book recently called something like Never Lose a Customer Again or something like okay, that. And it's yeah. all about customer experience. So, yeah. 
and trying to yeah do some little bits, make my invoicing emails a little bit oh, more fun. Sexy and invoices, that's going to do like it every that. time. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, if the invoices got a border, they'll stay forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what 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 what's it all about for you? What what's important and what does it mean? Uh, I think it means a lot of different things for different organisations. So what what we tend to do is we start by doing an exercise around customer journey mapping mm -hmm. and customer personas. So we spend time with people in the organisation looking at who their customers are, building those kind of pe sort of pen portraits, who are we, who are we talking to. As like I said a while ago, it's about having someone in mind who you can talk to and connect with when you're writing any communications or anything you're putting out there instead of imagining a sort of blanket, imagine the actual person mm -hmm. you're going to speak to. Okay. So we build those and then we do this journey mapping exercise, which is always brilliant fun and a really great way to unearth <laughs> what's going on in a business where we yeah. look at kind of customer life cycles end to end and we say, what do you send to the customer here? What does the customer hear from you? What are those moments of truth for the customer? There's kind of make it or break it moments. So, mm. you know, is it the point at which they receive their bill and it makes no sense to them? That's probably a make it or break it moment. Is it when they try and ring you and they can't, they're on hold for 20 minutes and that's it. They were kind of happy before they did that and now they're really peeved off. Mm -hmm. So try and find those moments of truth and the, all those different customer touch points and really understand, I, don't know, I always say, what you're doing to your customers right, as okay. opposed to kind of what's happening, you know, cause, because it is, and, and you find lots of organisations have got processes and ways of working for either sort of regulatory and compliance reasons or because yeah. the system makes them do it like that right, yeah. or because they've always done it like that. And, <laughs> and surprisingly, few organisations have processes because it's what the customer needs or the customer wants. Right, so the customer's okay. having things done to them as opposed to for them. And that's what I try and help businesses unpick and unravel better ways of using their system to help a customer better ways mm. of managing compliance that mean the customer has clarity and understanding and you're meeting your obligations, but you're not regurgitating nonsense to them because your mm -hmm. regulatory body says that's what you have to do. Right, okay, gotcha. So it's, yeah. it's around that sort of, yeah, these, these brilliant customer journey maps that we create. Let's say you have kind of a, a room full of people from around a business and it's brilliant watching those light bulbs go off around the room as people realise what <laughs> someone else does and the impact of what they do on the person in the next department along and right, it's, it's okay. a, always a fascinating process and we end up with these huge kind of maps that go right across a wall and we have a kind of magic whiteboard <laughs> paper and there's arrows and boxes and warning symbols all over it um and it's the kind of this as we call it like the as is so like here it is here's what you do at the moment mm -hmm. here's what you do to your customers right <laughs> um all over the wall and then yeah start to unpick it and say what actually and if we look back at who your customers are and the things that motivate them and the things that matter to them and, and what they need from you how do we overlay that onto this to create this mm. smoother path through their transactions with you that actually gives them what they need as opposed to what you need right okay yeah yeah so translating that's it to... probably the crux of it okay that's cool it. Reasonable no, no. explanation. Yeah, no, it is. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it might be sad, but I do find it interesting. So. I mean, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> fascinating. It comes back to the thing, like I say, I love like um, the communication thing, talking to people, running those workshops for me is just brilliant fun. I mean, yeah. the fact I get paid for it to me is a joy because I, <laughs> you know, as I say, watching those moments where people realise what's happening yeah, is yeah. just great in the in, in giving people that clarity of, of the what's happening across the business and, and the impact it's having on their customers and actually the remarkably easy things that businesses can often do to make mm. their customers happier and make them more sticky and help them spend more money that we all ultimately want mm. are really mm. nuanced and easy often. It's often not, you know, lovely bucket, <laughs> little jargon word, you know, quick wins. But just, there's yeah. often a lot of quick wins out there. You just tweak a few things yeah, and it makes a big tweak difference. Tweak a few things, send yeah. something a bit earlier, give them a phone call, send it via text instead of letter, you know, yeah, all yeah. sorts of silly little things around how businesses operate that okay. make things easier for their customers and therefore better for them. Yeah, okay. And the way you work, do you kind of offer that as like a sort of package to get started, that analysis? Yeah, sort of it's thing. how we often start. I mean, we come in at different points because 
businesses are always at different stages but what mm. we yeah the, the the best way to do it is to kind of come in and do that analysis piece and say here's what you do now now let's build an experience strategy that kind of try and chunk things up so that we found different issues through those processes we put them we, we group them so there might be then a sort of a communications program at the back of it or a systems development program so start yeah. to help businesses organize those issues and those challenges into really tangible things they can go away and work on mm -hmm. so I mean, it's really important for us and we've said all along that kind of this the idea of fresh nouse is this nouse is your practical thinking and your yeah, practical yeah. intelligence um and as i said i'm not a sit on a beanbag kind of a person so it's <laughs> the, the the answer from us is always what's the things we can do to affect change to make this better like what what's actually so what laura always says what's the so what here what are we going to do what's the mm -hmm. takeout from it you know yeah great this is what we do now let's look at it and feel bad about ourselves no, like no that's not the point <laughs> point here is you know what can we action from it what can we learn and what's the ultimate objective of a great customer experience then it, it's it's to, it's the ultimately it's to meet your business objectives whatever they may be so that's okay. about making more money from your customers keeping your customers winning valuable customers but making but by doing that as a result of making your customers happy and turning them into your fans for want of a better word so yeah. your customers um get what they need from you when they need it and yeah. therefore you serve them better than anybody else in your sector or anybody else who's got a product like yours and if you can fit yourself into that niche by doing that then you know whatever those big goals are for your business turnover retention all of those big stuff is that's how you get there so customer experience yeah. isn't some flighty sideline it's a really important tool to deliver your core objectives yeah yeah okay cool well cool. look we have been recording for just over 50 minutes oh <laughs> yes we should Damn probably <laughs> we should probably wrap it up no no nothing to cut out everything we're just going to go Boom. All in, which is including great. Including the alarm. <laughs> including the alarm, we're putting it all in now. Fantastic. We're just chatting before the uh, recording for that people. That probably doesn't make sense what I'm just saying, but <laughs> we were just saying about leaving stuff in and how it sounds more natural if you uh, you don't cut out all the ums and ahs. And not that either of us were particularly umming and ahs. I don't know. When we hear it back, I might. I don't think. Oh, <laughs> be like, can you cut that out? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. Well. Um, yeah. Once again, you're at freshnouse.com. That's right. And you're on the LinkedIn's. I am. And Celia Felgate on the LinkedIn's. <laughs> Anywhere else for people to uh, the go one, find the you? That's the, the big one, isn't it? And yeah. On the website, that's it. Two main routes in. Don't make it too complicated. I'm a simple beast. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, no, thank you very much again for uh, thank you coming for in. Pleasure. That was uh, that was very interesting. Thank you. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. You can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time. <laughs>